Okay, well, we've been talking about the subject of spiritual formation. And I felt need to do a little bit of review since it's been several weeks. Uh, I had mentioned that I chose the term spiritual formation instead of the more common discipleship because I believe the term discipleship today has lost much of its original meaning and emphasis. We tend to associate it with a special study or a class or maybe some particular practice. Whereas when Jesus used it, it was so much more all-encompassing of life. It can be translated variously as follower or student or learner, but in essence, a disciple was someone who attached themselves so closely to their master that their lives were forever changed. They became like their master. So Jesus said in Matthew 10, a student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the student to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. He's talking about the discipleship relationship. In Romans 8:29, Paul says, we are predestined to be conformed to the image or the likeness of his son. One version translated, he chose us to become like his son. And increasingly, the term spiritual formation is used to describe the process, this process of change, which may come through a class or a special study, but it may come through being involved in ministry or service. It may come simply through faithfulness at work or at home. You're going to be shaped, and you are being shaped by something. The question is, is it going to be the world, the flesh, and the devil, or is it going to be God? Spiritual formation speaks to that process of change that's happening inside of us as we follow Jesus and attach ourselves to him. And it's something that involves all of us, our heart, our desires, our minds, our actions. It speaks of seeking his fullness, or as Paul wrote in the passage in Ephesians up here, that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And it's what happens when we are changed or transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. We then talked about how one way to understand spiritual formation is to break it down into what Christian writer Richard Foster calls six streams of spiritual formation. The streams refer to, refer to various traditions and dimensions of the spiritual life that we find throughout Scripture and in the lives of saints throughout history. Just as a river becomes stronger as streams merge into it, our spiritual lives become stronger and richer as these various spiritual streams are present. So the theme of our artwork on the walls. The first stream that we looked at was compassion and justice. As we saw, that was the message, primary message of the prophets, which was perhaps best captured in Amos 24, 524, where the Lord thundered, let justice roll down like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. So it's represented by the banner over here. The prophets repeatedly declared that God's judgment was going to be based on how people treat and care for each other. In Hebrew, the word for just judgment and justice come from the same root. Compassion is an expression of divine love. In James 1.27, it says that religion that God considers pure and clean 
is when we look after or we care for widows and orphans and keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. It's a reflection of the great commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. And it's characterized most fully and completely in the life, work, and message of Jesus, who devoted the bulk of his attention to the outcasts, the oppressed, the hurting, the abused, those who some like to refer to as the lost, the least, and the last. Since, the, as the Bible says, God is love, we talked about how to be changed into his image means growing in love and compassion. But not only is God love, he is also holy. It's part of his nature. Therefore, we, as we become more like him, holiness is to become a part of our lives. First Peter 1 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And so holy, the holy life was the second stream we looked at, represented by the poster of the cross trainers, based on Paul's words in Timothy that we are to train ourselves to be godly. To be holy means to be set apart, to be different from the world around us. And where compassion concentrates on the second great commandment of loving others, the holy life focuses on the first. How can we love God with all our hearts and soul and mind and strength? All that's in us, what does that look like? And as with all the streams, Jesus is the epitome of the holy life. And it's expressed so fully and completely in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And it's seen in the repeated phrase there, you have heard that it was said. This is what the world's telling you, in other words. But then he says, but I tell you this. Who are you going to listen to? And as we draw near to him and take on his character, as we begin to look more like him, we begin to stand out from the world in our values and our behaviors. We become holy. Compassion and holiness, the first two streams, provide a natural balance for each other because compassion without holiness leads to compromise. But holiness without compassion is harsh and hard. In the weeks to come, we'll be looking at the streams of the spirit-filled life, the word-centered life, the incarnational life. But this week and next, we're going to be looking at the prayer-filled life. And as I tried to do with both holiness and compassion, today I want to focus on trying to lay a foundation for you of what is meant by a prayer-filled life. And then next week, as we come back to it, to concentrate on some of the more practical aspects of it and what it looks like. And here, I think, is where we do need some explanation because of our practice and our understanding of prayer, it can get in the way of grasping the true nature of the spiritual stream. Because I dare say that in the minds of many, prayer is reduced largely to little more than an activity. It's something we do. We go and we say our prayers. It often becomes little more than a way to ask for things we want. It's like the old comedy routine of Flip Wilson who called out, I'm going to pray now. Anyone want anything? In prayer, we do express our desires, our hopes, our fears, our concerns for ourselves and others, our thankfulness, our praise. 
But the prayer-filled life is more than that. It's more than simply saying grace before you eat a meal or beginning your day in prayer or perhaps closing it in prayer before you go to bed. It's not about saying a prayer before you start a meeting or to close a meeting. Those are certainly important and parts of it. But in a prayer-filled life, it's not primarily an activity. It's a way of living and an orientation of our hearts. It's the difference between saying prayers and fulfilling Paul's injunction in 1, Timothy, or 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing, which can sound so impossible for us. How do you pray at all times when you're working, when you're in conversations, when things are going on around us? How do you pray without ceasing? When prayer is something we do, when it's an activity, then it's something we do when we have time. It's something we might do unless our favorite TV program is on or the football game is ready to start. But when it's an orientation of life, it's a heart that's set at rest in God's presence, aware that God is with you even in the midst of your activities. It's like when you go to buy a new car, you decide on what car you want, and then the salesman sits you down and he starts showing you all the various accessories you can add on. It, in course, of course, increases the price and the dealer's profit. But those are just nice additions. They're not really necessary for the vehicle. If you treat prayer like an activity, something you do on occasion, it becomes an accessory to life. Too much of our prayer is words. It's us talking. It's telling God what we want. Maybe we listen a little bit, but the prayer field life isn't about what you say. It's not even about listening. It's about simply being with God. Too much time we spend with God talking, telling him what we want. But when was the last time you simply sat in his presence? Didn't need to say anything. Didn't need to listen for anything. It's shifting prayer from talking to God to simply being with him, aligning your heart with his presence. The entire focus of a prayer-filled life is loving God. That's its whole focus. Resting in his presence, even when there's nothing to say. It's like being with the one you love. You don't always have to talk. You don't always have to listen. Sometimes you just are together. It's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus in Luke 10 while her sisters are distracted all by all the things she had to do. Or it's the psalmist meditating on God throughout the night as he lay on his bed. It's John, the disciple that Jesus loved on the Isle of Patmos, caught up in the Spirit with God. It's Moses alone on the mountain for 40 days. And it's Jesus sending his disciples ahead while he withdraws to a mountainside to be alone with God. There's a historical term that's more common for this. It's called the contemplative life. And so much richer than simply asking for things or telling God about your problems. You know, throughout history, various writers have tried to describe what this life is. They've used terms like practicing the presence of God. One writer called it beautiful of soul. Another called it the steady gaze of the soul upon God who loves us. And another, an intimate sharing between friends. 
And as you read these various authors, the most common words they use to describe it are love and fire. Using such phrases as divine loving desire of contemplation, the burning of love, love of flame, the fire of divine love, trying to describe what it really is. As one saint tried to, used, said in describing it, he was asked what he was doing for all those hours and hours he spent sitting alone in the chapel. And all he said simply was, I look at him, and he looks at me, and we're happy. That's a prayer field life. Or as Teresa of Avila said, prayer consists not in speaking a lot, but in loving a lot. So it becomes much more and much different, deeper than conversation. It becomes communion. The psalmist expresses that longing for God when he does say in Psalm 63, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you throughout the night. But few places in Scripture really express it more poetically than Psalms 42. From the very first, you catch the writer's longing for God above all else. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? But these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? But why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. From the first, this psalm reflects a heart in love with God, yearning for him, not talking to him, not listening to him, simply longing to be in his presence, to be at rest. The words don't matter as a prayer-filled life simply seeks to be with God. It fulfills the words of our Lord that we are to love God with all that is in us. You know, my favorite description of this life comes from a book that's titled Soul Feast, in which the author says, a simple gaze toward one who loves us unshakably. This is contemplative prayer. It's absorption in loving God with our whole being, not strenuously, but as a spontaneous response of the heart. Contemplative prayer is resting in God allowing the Spirit to fill and move us as God wills. It's pure receptivity and adoration. It is quiet, tender, and sober, sober, or playful, gentle, 
and joyous. It's an experience of being present only to the moment, unconscious of time. In contemplation, we move from communicating with God through speech to communing with God through the gaze of love. Words fall away, and the most palatable reality is being present to the lover of our souls. When we let go of all to speak or even to listen, simply becoming quiet before God, the Spirit is free to work its healing mysteries in us, releasing us from bondage, energizing new patterns of life, restoring our soul's beauty. Here we allow ourselves to be loved by God into wholeness. And such communion with God is an end in itself, not a means to another end, however good. We do not enter the prayer of rest in order to become better servants of God, That's a natural side effect. The sole purpose of contemplation is to adore and enjoy God. Here's part of the answer to that age-old question people often ask. If God knows everything, knows what we want before we ask it, why do we pray? The answer is simple. He wants to spend time with you. He loves you. He cares about you. It's all about relationship. We fill our lives sometimes with so much noise and activity, with always more to do or to watch or to listen to. It's like we're afraid to be alone with ourselves and with our God. And yet Jesus spent hours, nights alone in prayer. In Luke 5.16, it says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And as he did so, He found strength to face life and difficulty. And if Jesus felt the need for that intimacy with the Father, shouldn't we also? In spiritual formation, the compassionate life is reflected in touching people through active ministry, acts of kindness, justice. Holiness is reflected in practices that help us deepen our knowledge and our love for God that help us relate to the world differently. And the prayer-filled life is simply loving God, resting in Him. Or as the saints said, I look at Him, He looks at me, and we're happy. But you have to be comfortable with quiet, with silence, with aloneness. It's not about all that's going on around you. It's simply being present in the moment. So much of what we talk about in church sometimes deals with what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to behave, what we're supposed to believe. We get caught up sometimes in our society's values that we always need to be doing something because that's where we get our worth from. Well, our beliefs, our behaviors are a part of our spiritual formation but we cannot neglect the very basic need to simply be with God. In Mark 3.14, it says, when Jesus called and set apart the twelve, it says he did so so that they might be with him, knowing that being with him would change their lives. In Acts 4.13, it says, when the religious leaders took note of the disciples, they saw that they had been with Jesus, it says. If you're resting in his presence, it's going to make a difference. That's why the prayer-filled life is among the six streams. Loving God is the essence of it. 
and it's the essence of what it means to be his child, and therefore it's foundational to everything else, and even the other streams. As I mentioned earlier, today I was more trying to set the foundation for understanding that the prayer-filled life is so much more than saying prayers. It's how we live. It's cultivated through such practices as finding time alone with God, solitude, practicing silence rather than filling our life with noise or feeling like we have to be talking. It's meditating on God and His Word. It's taking time to simply reflect on what God is doing in the world around us, what He's done through the day, where He's been working in our lives. Those are the things, types of things we'll be looking at more next week. It's like the little girl that knows that sometime after 5 o'clock, her daddy is going to be home from work. Long before 5, she takes up her daily station, staring at the window, out the window, nose pressed against the glass, waiting and watching for him to come. Every car that comes down the street catches her attention. Is it him? Finally, she sees his car come into the driveway. She sees as he opens the door and climbs out and starts down the path to the door. She can no longer contain herself. She jumps down from where she had been watching, opens the door, runs out, and as he's at the steps, she flings herself into his loving arms and hugs him. No words need to be spoken. They're simply together, savoring the love that binds them together. She is with the Father, and the Father is with her. Words become incidental and irrelevant. That's a prayer-filled life. That's the kind of relationship God wants with every one of us. That God wants with you, if you'll let him. His invitation is always to come and to know him personally as a loving, heavenly Father because he wants to spend time with you. And so as we prepare to close our time of worship together, we do so with an invitation. The Father loves you. He wants to be with you. And if you haven't experienced that loving embrace, we leave open a time as we sing together to pray with you here at the front, or you can pray from your seat, but to call to him. The scripture says, call to me and I will answer you. It's a promise that he makes. As the worship team comes, let's have a moment of prayer and then we'll stand together and sing the hymn of invitation and commitment as we worship our Lord. Our Father, we thank you for your love that seeks to embrace each of us, a love that surrounds us. God, help us all to realize that we don't always have to be talking. We don't always have to be doing things that we can simply be in your presence, become the people you want us to be, a people for whom prayer is not so much an activity but a way of life, knowing that we're resting in your presence, for we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you all please stand, and we leave this open as an invitation time. If there is a commitment you need to make. Perhaps God has been stirring your heart, whether it's to unite with us as a congregation as we seek to know and serve him, or perhaps it's to seek prayer for something, or simply 
to follow in a commitment you've already made. We invite you to come as we sing together. Come, every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord.